Okay, you can see on the screen we're reading from Psalm 119, the long psalm. And we're not going to read the whole psalm, we're just going to read 9 through to 16, which is just one of the small parts of the psalm. So, page 610. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And the New Testament reading is from Mark. Mark (laughs) Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Yes, it's Luke. (laughs) That's all right. This is so far away from me, I I can't see. (laughs) As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Rick. Linesmen, ball boys, umpires, thank you. That was a joke, you meant to laugh. (laughs) It's not a good start, is it, really? (laughs) When the first attempt at being funny just falls so badly flat. Anyway... Anyway, I'm not here as a comedian, which is probably a great relief to many of you. We've been walking through the uh, middle chapters of Luke's gospel uh, recently, and as Colin introduced us uh, this morning, he told you that really uh, we've been exploring what it means to follow Jesus. But we thought, I thought we'd do a little bit of a, of a recap. So... Let's see if you've been paying attention. I think it's now been, this is our fourth week, maybe fifth, in uh, Luke's Gospel. The first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. One big question. Can anyone help me? What is the question? What is Luke trying to lead us to answer by the end of chapter nine? What's the question? Who is Jesus? Who is 
this man. Okay, there you have it. Then, after that, chapter 10 through to 19, the end of chapter 9, Jesus sets his face for Jerusalem. That's what it says in 952. And he's heading down and he arrives in chapter 19 as the triumphal entry. You remember the whole donkey and palm waving thing? That's chapter 19. Uh, This block of 10 uh, chapters has another big question. Does anyone remember this one? Yep. What does it actually look like to follow this one? If Jesus is God's king, if Jesus is the Messiah, what does it actually mean to follow him? And that is key. And so we've actually been looking and we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So uh, two weeks ago, we saw the 72 being sent out on mission and they had a message to proclaim. And last week we saw uh, Jesus talking about uh, the acts of mercy Uh, the Good Samaritan parable and how disciples of Jesus are committed not only to proclaiming the word, but actually uh, sharing the love of Christ in practical ways. So that's where we kind of got to. Now, uni is going back this week or next week or sometime. Does it ever seem to you that uni students just never seem uh, to do any work? Has anyone noticed that? That's amazing, isn't it? Students, school, maybe it's a little bit more work. Lecturers, was that a, something, was that a cheap shot of your husband, Jess? Yes? <laughs> the lecturers notice. Ah, oh, yes, okay, dig yourself out of that hole. That's good. Okay. But you think about teachers. You think about teachers. Teachers at school, teachers, we're all products of education systems, aren't we? Yes? We are all products of education systems. But the only... Uh, it's, it's not only the education that we get in school or TAFE or uni that actually shapes us. Education is not just about learning facts and figures. Learning uh, and education is actually about life. Yes? Hopefully you agree with me. You know, it sounds trite, it's a little bit of a cliche, but we're all on a journey. Yes? We're all becoming someone. And the question I want to ask you this morning is how do you know when you've arrived? If we're all on a journey, how do we actually know when we've got there? What does the destination look like? And we're going to explore that question and a few others as we look at this very familiar passage from Luke chapter 10, uh, the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, I've come up with four double Ds this morning. So the degree of difficulty, 6.8. Okay, we have the delight of devotion. Okay, we have the danger of distraction. We have the decision of discipleship, okay? Applause would be appreciated at this point, you know? No, no, that's fine. (laughs) And then we've got some details. So let's dig into the delight of devotion. I don't know how you felt uh, as Margaret read to us from uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning. It's It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus is coming into this village. He's coming in with his disciples and Mary and Martha welcome him. Martha opens her home to Jesus uh, and it's this great little picture that's there. I want to test you again. I've asked you a couple of questions already, but if you've read the Gospels, you've come across Mary and Martha before. Yes? They have a brother. Who's the brother's name? This is question number one. Lazarus. Okay. Does anyone know what chapter of the Bible and what book of the Bible you're going to find Lazarus in? It's in John. Chapter 10, okay. What town 
are we actually in? Luke doesn't tell us. He says, literally he says, they came into a certain village where a certain woman called Martha, so he knows who she is and they know the village. Do you remember, anyone remember where Mary, Martha and Lazarus actually live? Bethany. Okay, now let's see, let's, let's see if we've got top draw scholars here this morning. The geography of ancient Palestine. Okay, Jerusalem, capital city. How far away from Jerusalem is Bethany? Not far is the right answer, but you know, two miles. Yes, about three kilometers. So you could walk there in less than an hour. It's like an outskirt. It's like uh, from my place at Seaview Downs, walking up to a bit further than Marion, the shopping centre. Like, it's, Jesus is not very far, but it's interesting. I want to step out of our little story just briefly and say, we've jumped on this trip from all the way up in the north in Galilee, and Jesus is coming down. It's chapter 10, and he's three miles, or two miles, three kilometres away from Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed that the gospel writers don't actually write history like we write history? We Anglo types particularly, and you know, it'd be interesting talking to someone who hasn't come out of an Anglo kind of heritage, we get really hung up on what happened when, dates, facts, figures. That's not how the gospel writers write the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. They're more concerned in telling us about Jesus rather than giving us a strict chronology. The most famous and most obvious example of this is the discrepancy between uh, John's gospel and Matthew, Mark and Luke. There's an event that happens in Matthew, Mark and Luke in the last week of Jesus's life, clearing the temple. You remember this when he makes the whip of cords and he goes in and he scatters it all. But in John's gospel, that event is recorded for us in chapter two, right up front. The gospel writers are concerned not to give us a blow-by-blow chronology. The general picture's there. You know, the birth is at the front. The death and the resurrection are at the end. Uh, There's some key things in the the middle. Let there be light. Does any? That's interesting because I've still got power here and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, shall we just continue in the dark? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I can see my notes. Um, but it's, it's important to recognise this. Otherwise, you get massively confused. Did Jesus clear the temple twice? And if he did, why didn't they see him coming the second time? You know, he's back in town. He's making a whip again. I reckon they would have cleared the temple out right away. Uh, but uh, it's important because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John construct their accounts of Jesus' life and ministry to give us a picture of Jesus. And so it's really important to remember that. It's a good thing I've got some light here because <laughs> I can only just see. But anyway, back to Martha, Martha and Mary. Yay, thank you. We've got these two pictures of devotion. Jesus has come in, this family that obviously knows Jesus, Mary and Martha. Okay, Lazarus doesn't get mentioned and we see their devotion. Chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 38, Martha opens her home to Jesus. Okay? Hospitality is a really big deal in ancient cultures, even in more traditional cultures today. I had a friend who got picked up uh, in Pakistan from the airport uh, in, in Karachi, I think it was, and uh, the cab driver, they got chatting, 
And the cab driver invited him home for a cup of tea and then lunch and then afternoon tea. And it was only when Mike said, no, 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 I need to get to the conference that I've actually come to Pakistan for to get him out of actually spending the whole afternoon and dinner with the Pakistani cab driver that he'd never met before. But hospitality was a huge deal. And here, Martha excels. She, uh, she shares her home, she shares her resources with Jesus and the Twelve. And it's a really big thing. And it was a way the early church supported Christian mission. Here's 3 John. John's writing to the church. He says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. We ought therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for truth. There were missionaries going out and these people were welcoming them in, providing for their needs and sending them out. Hospitality was a really big deal. And here's Martha and she's excelling. Verse 39, we have Mary comes in. She has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It's another picture of devotion. We don't get this, though, because we kind of know the story. We're also in a different culture. But this should shock us. Because here we have Mary, the little sister most likely to Martha's big sister. Martha's probably either a widow or never married. She's the head of the household. She's identified as the house owner. Mary is under her authority. But here's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, rejecting submission to the one in authority over her the rejecting the demands of hospitality but also even more so we don't see this because we live in a much more sort of egalitarian kind of culture but for a person for a woman to sit at a rabbi's feet and listen to him to take the position of a disciple was radical was radical The more progressive rabbis of Jesus' day would allow a woman to learn, but not with the general crowd, not with the main group. She'd have to learn by herself. But here you have Jesus with Mary taking the role, taking the position of a disciple right at the centre. Mary is showing her devotion in a totally countercultural way, while Martha is fitting in with cultural expectations. Now, when we think about Mary and Martha, what do you, who do you commend? Well, perhaps this morning, perhaps particularly if you're not a Christian, you look at them and you kind of go, actually, neither of them really gives me something I want to emulate. Because Martha, you know, what's the whole woman's place in the kitchen thing got to do with this? You know, is this... Is this reinforcing, you know, stereotypes and oppressing women and telling us that a good woman should be out providing for the needs of the menfolk? So maybe we're not really that fond of, uh, of Martha. And because in our society, hospitality has kind of lost its key importance, we downvalue what it is that Martha's doing. But maybe we're not that thrilled about Mary either, because... There she is in quiet submission to Jesus, the man teaching. Maybe we don't like that. 
Maybe we also don't like the fact that she's learning from someone else because we have a society that it's fine, you can teach me maths, you can teach me science, but when it comes to the big things of learning life, we have a society that tells you now you don't find the truth out there. You don't conform yourself to a standard that's outside you. You actually find it inside yourself. And so you don't get someone else to teach you how to live. You need to find that yourself. And so maybe we're not really that thrilled with Mary. But if you go back into Jesus' culture, moving on to our second point, this danger of distraction. If you go back into first century Palestine and get rid of our 21st century Western baggage, you'd actually expect Martha to get the tick, wouldn't you? She's doing the culturally approved thing. And there's probably many of us here this morning who kind of feel that Martha gets a bit of a a bad rap. Yes? I've heard many people go when they hear this story, uh, I'm with Martha, you know? It's uh, it's the, the child that's been asked to unpack the dishwasher while sisters and brothers or whatever have not been asked to help. It's like... That whole thing, we kind of get Martha. And we have a culture that honours activism, that you've got to be busy. I haven't heard it as much recently, but a little while ago, and maybe, maybe I haven't been listening for it as much, but a little while ago, it was the standard thing. You know, how are you? How was your week? And what's the right answer? Busy. Busy. Maybe it's still out there. And so being busy is to actually be responsible. You feel guilty when you stop. You feel guilty when you sit down and take some time out. You feel guilty if someone else is working and you're not, or maybe you don't actually. It probably depends upon your personality. But I feel guilty anyway. Martha's fitting in with cultural norms. And so you'd expect that she gets the tick of approval. But if you know the story, and you do because it was read for us, so you've heard it at least once, Martha doesn't get the tick. She gets gets a gentle rebuke. But what for? Not for what you think. Many people have looked at this passage and and they say, Martha puts worldly activity above spiritual concerns. And so therefore, that's what Jesus is having a go at her for. No. Can I say? That is not what Jesus is having a go at her for. What's Jesus rebuking Martha for? Why doesn't Martha get the tick? It's not the action that she's doing, but it's the attitude. It's not actually what she is externally going on with. It's what's internally going on. You can hear Martha in the kitchen, can't you? You know? The disciples and Jesus are there and you get that kind of over said, I wish I had some help. Oh, there's so much to do. Bang, you know, cluttering and oh, so none of you have ever done that kind of thing, have you? No? You can feel Martha's frustration and it's interesting in verse 40, if you've got your Bibles there, I hope you do. It says Martha was distracted by all the preparations. Now, distraction is a, it's a good translation, but it doesn't capture the vividness of this word. Martha wasn't just distracted. She was literally dragged away. 
She was literally dragged away by all the fuss that was going on, all her preparations, all her activities. She had somewhere, she had someone she wanted to be with, Jesus. Her hospitality is a sign of her devotion, but she is literally dragged away. It's like she's a planet and she's been sucked into orbit around another sun. So instead of her life orbiting around Jesus, she's actually orbiting around something else. Jesus is speaking not against her action, not against the externals, but what's actually happening on the inside. The burden that she's bearing, the fact that she'd lost sight that it was the Lord Jesus that she was actually catering for. Now, if you think about Jesus, if you'd had him round for lunch, do you think, you know, hospitality for 20 would stretch Jesus? We read back a little bit further in the gospel, a bit earlier, 4,000, 5,000 copes with that. Do you think Jesus could have perhaps provided a little bit for Martha? She's lost sight of who it is she serves. It leads to self-pity, it leads to anger, it leads to accusations. And then she comes in and tries to use the Lord Jesus. We have it there in uh, verse 40. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? She's trying to get an angle on Jesus. In the original language, you can ask a question, you can phrase it and write it in a way that tells you what the answer is expected to be. And here, Martha is answering, she's phrasing her question in a way that implies, yes, is the question. Jesus, of course he cares. So what's that meant to do? It's meant to provoke Jesus maybe to feel a little bit guilty. And so he's going to jump in on her side and then do the power play with Mary and say, Come on, Mary, get off your backside, go and help Martha. Lord, don't you care? Because if you did, and I know that you do, you would then tell my sister. Now, it's worth thinking about this. We do this naturally. Think about growing up, maybe for some of you, you know, that was a long time ago, like Mike, 37, wow, so old. Um, For some of us, we're a bit younger, like me, closer to our childhood. Um, Remember having a fight with your brother or sister and then you worked out that you needed heavier ammunition. Okay, you go to this disagreement and there was a race to get to mum or to dad first. Do you remember doing this? And you had to explain your side of the argument first and your hope was they would muscle in with you and put the offending brother or sister in place. Okay? You see this all the time. I've had people come and talk to me as pastor, hoping that I would put the offending party in place, that I would add my authority to their complaint. That is what Martha's doing. Question, why didn't Martha just go and talk to Mary and say, what about giving us a hand? What's this whole thing with Jesus? She's trying to get power. Think about it. What do you hope for when you go to God in prayer about conflict, about situations where there's a little bit of argy-bargy? 
Martha and Mary should warn us that very rarely does God say, yeah, yeah, you're totally right, I'm going to change that other person. More often than not, what God does is a work in your own heart. Martha goes, seeks muscle, seeks Jesus' support against her sister. Does she get it? No, she doesn't. Let's move on to point three, the decision of discipleship. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The repetition signifies affection. He's not having a go at her. He loves this woman because she loves him. She's devoted to him. Martha, Martha. And then Luke reminds us who it is exactly who's talking to her. The Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Martha's lost sight of who it is that she serves. Three times in this little passage, these five verses, Jesus is referred to as Lord. In the surrounding verses, not very much at all, but Luke wants to remind us who it is. This is the Lord. And it should have reordered the priorities. Martha's issue isn't that she's chosen something bad. It's not that Mary's chosen good, Martha's chosen bad. It's that Mary's chosen best and Martha's chosen good. Jesus is not rebuking Martha for her hospitality. But Jesus is saying, your priorities are out of line. Mary isn't to stay perpetually at Jesus' feet. She's not going to sit there for the rest of her life. But she is in the right place to start. And that is the right place, not just for Mary, not just for Martha, but for us. Jesus has laid out the life of discipleship. He's given us the great activities of evangelism and social action. The 72 and the Good Samaritan. You could be confused and think, hey, it's all about what we do. But Jesus doesn't call us necessarily to do what he did. He calls us to love as he loved. And when we love as he loved, we will do as he did. We center in on him. We bring our lives into orbit around him. And that means coming under submission to his word. Mary is devoted to his teaching. The sitting on the floor is a posture of humble submission to Jesus' teaching. And this isn't a male-female thing, because the Apostle Paul speaks in exactly the same way of how he was instructed by one of the great rabbis of the ancient Jewish world. Acts 22. I'm a Jew, Paul says, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. It's a posture of submission to a teacher. Paul to Gamaliel, Mary and the disciples to the Lord Jesus. That's held up for us as the best choice. Literally, what, what Luke or what Jesus says here, Mary has chosen what is better. It's like she's saying she's chosen the best cut. He's, 
Jesus is using this little pun here because Martha's preparing the dinner, but Mary's got the best thing already on her plate. It's the best cut. It's the best portion. It's the best serve. As she digests, not the food, but the word of God. That's what's held up. That's the best place for Mary, for Martha, for us. So why would you do it? We have a culture that doesn't like submission, that doesn't like learning from someone else, that doesn't like someone else telling you how you should live. We're told we should each find our own way, but can I say that that's that's a bit of a myth? We can each find our own way as long as we do it in the way that everyone else agrees with. You kind of notice that? If my way that I find disagrees with what everyone else thinks, they tell me in no uncertain terms that that's not the right way. So I've got to find my own way in a way that's approved by others. We live in a world that teaches us, that shapes us. We all have teachers. We have teachers every time we turn on the television. Every time you surf the net, watch YouTube, every time you read a blog, every time you look at a newspaper, read a book, every time you have a conversation, someone is teaching you. We all have teachers. The culture out there tells us what is good, what is right, what is proper, what is best. Yes, if you watch television with your eyes open, if you look at the media, you see again and again and again the stories about what the good life looks like. They tell us what is good, they tell us what to love, and they set our hearts on it. What's Mary doing? She's setting her heart on a different teacher. Not the teachers of her early Uh, of, of the early Palestinian culture. Not the culturally approved teachers, but the Lord Jesus. And that's a teacher that we can join with. Because Jesus's group, it's highly selective, can I say, to be part of the disciple crew of the Lord Jesus. You couldn't just join, you had to be called. And it has a very high bar, can I say? You know, some of you have just done uh, your, your SACE or your IB and you've got a TER and you've worked out sort of how high the bar is. With Jesus, to get into any course in the Jesus University, you needed a TER, not of 99.95, you need 100. Sorry, 100. But the amazing thing is, is that the Lord Jesus, our teacher, He did it. And it's like someone's taken his academic record, his moral record, and written it into ours and taken our fail and put it on him. As Christ goes to the cross, our falling short, our moral failure, our inadequacy, our lack of putting Christ at the centre, our sin goes to him and his righteousness, his 100 comes to us. And so by grace, he invites us in. He says, come and learn from me. My yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. What, what does he mean as he says that? That's Matthew. What's he mean? My yoke is easy. It means at the heart, the Lord Jesus doesn't say there's an exam at the end. You better learn, you better live, and if you're good enough, you'll get there. The Lord Jesus says the exam was at the beginning and I sat it for you. I sat it for you. And so you come into my community, not resting on your ability, but on my ability, what I have done. And so we come in to learn how to live the life that our creator made us to live. Not having to prove ourselves, not having to perform, but because his grace has actually made it possible. And so as we think about learning, as we think about growing, as we think about that journey, Christ has made it possible that we reach a destination beyond our wildest dreams. A man once said, he said, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Think about that. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Imagine the grace involved in being able to say that. That you, by God's word, through God's spirit, get to be like Christ. Why would you chase after anything else? Why would you pursue anything else? You would be there with Mary every single time. So what's this mean for us? The issue is not pull off every roster that Trinity Bay has ever put you on. You've got to be like Mary. You've just got to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. The issue is whether you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning, whether you're in quiet Bible study, whether you're leading a Bible study group, whether you're teaching the kids in minis or in mixes, whether you're in youth, whatever you're doing, whether you're serving morning tea, whether you're welcoming people in or you're on the sound desk or on Proclaim, you're doing it orbiting around Christ. You're doing it for him, resting in his grace. As you go out, like the 72 went out and you proclaim Christ, you do that resting in his grace, trusting in his word. If you go out and you find the man in the gutter and you pick him up, put him on your donkey, take him, care for his wounds, pay the innkeeper, you do it not out of obligation, not to pass the exam, but because Christ's grace has made that possible. The word of God is central. It is through his word that we sit at Jesus' feet. One of the great tragedies uh, of the evangelical church, that's us, by the way, we are evangelicals, we are people who love the gospel, love the word of God, we think it's, uh, or we believe it to be, I think rightly, uh, God's word to us. One of the great myths of the evangelical church is that we read our Bibles and we pray. I know some of us do. But how easy is it for us to be like Martha, dragged away? We know it's good. We know what a privilege it is to have it. But we get dragged away by the busyness, by the good things. But more often than not, we get dragged away by the rubbish, 
How many times, speaking probably to the younger people and maybe some of the guys, some of the older guys, computer games. You spend hours doing something that means absolutely nothing, but we can't actually get off our backsides and spend 10 minutes in the Word. Maybe it's the cleanliness of your house because someone's coming around for Sunday lunch in a couple of weeks' time and I've got to make sure it's all okay. Like Colin said, they don't care. Okay? You do. But you've, you've got to live up to all those expectations. You've got to make sure you get dragged away by your concerns. Martha was pursuing something good. Can I say, sport with your kids is good, but it should never trump Sunday church. It should never get in the way of them meeting with their peers on Friday night. That is what God has given us. God has made that possible. And we look at it and we go, oh, you know, hitting a ball with a bat or kicking something or throwing something, you know, that's, that's where the action is. No, one thing is needed. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. I want to give you some suggestions. If you've fallen out of the habit of actually spending time in the Word, um, there's a great little app. It's called the Explore app. I haven't brought copies of it that you can buy up the back because it's free on the app store. Okay? I have no shares in the company that are producing this, can I say. Uh, but it's a daily Bible reading guide. If you buy it through the app store, I can't speak for the Android or the Google Play and all that kind of stuff, but it works with family sharing. And so you can actually have six people on the same license. A family could have it all on their own little devices and it has daily Bible reading, a couple of questions, some suggestions for prayer. And guys like Tim Keller writing your Bible study notes. It's a great thing. Small groups. If you struggle with the word, maybe it's something that you all commit to doing together and that when you get together on Tuesday morning or Wednesday night or whatever it is that you do, you actually encourage each other. What have you learned this week? You don't beat each other up if you've missed a few. But wow, I've learned this. Karen and I, we don't read the Bible together very much, but we read the same Bible at the same time. So this morning, I was sitting on one couch, you were sitting on another, and we actually reflect together about what it is that we read. You could do that as a church. We could do that. This is a great thing. For parents, this is probably the best kids' Bible I've ever... For grandparents, buy it for your children. I've known people who have been converted through reading this to their children. It's great. It unpacks the significance of the cross from every scriptural passage that it goes through it's a good one get into it get into it it's something that we need to do jesus is there he is asking us he is offering to us to come and learn from him why don't we do that i've got what appears to be sitting in my notes here the video for proclaim so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to put it on. I think it's about one minute, just to give you a bigger sense of it. And you've all got your phones there, so you can log on to the App Store and download it. Uh, but anyway, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us. Help us to have hearts that orbit around you, that don't get caught up in the good things or the rubbish, but choose the best. And as we spend time with you, 
in your, in your word and in prayer. Lord, you shape us, you transform us, you make us into the person that Christ died that we could become. And you send us out, resting in your grace and empowered by your spirit, that we might live and work for your praise and glory. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, have we got sound for this? If we just flick. Introducing the all-new Explore app. Redesigned from the ground up to help you spend time with God in the busyness of life. The Explore app now features fully integrated Bible text, a daily reminder feature, new topical studies, and lots of free reading plans. And of course, what Explore has always been known for, careful, prayerful, and thoughtful daily Bible readings that are filled with insightful application, all written by trusted teachers that take you book by book through the whole Bible. Get to know the all-new Explore app for Bible reading on the sofa, on your lunch break, or on the move, direct to your phone and tablet.